Welcome to this third and final podcast in the Fireside Chat series organized by the Spiritual Formation Committee this year. In this podcast, you will hear Professor Tisa Wenger, Associate Professor of American Religious History, and MDiv student Tasha Brownfield interview each other about their faith journeys in relation to the Unitarian Universalist tradition. Great. Well, hello. My name is Tasha Brownfield, and I'm so excited to be speaking with you today and exploring our faith journeys together. Um, I am a first year of Masters of Divinity student looking for ordination in the Unitarian Universalist Church. I'm interested in military chaplaincy, specifically within the Space Force. Um, I, my undergraduate degree was in uh, psychology, religious studies, and a minor in philosophy from Seton Hill University in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. And that's the brief synopsis about who I am. I'll let uh, Tisa introduce herself now. Thanks, Tasha. Um, I'm really glad to be in this conversation with you and have this chance to get to know you better as well as to um, think think with you about this question of faith journeys and faith formation. Um, I'm Tisa Wenger. I'm Associate Professor of American Religious History. I've been teaching here at Yale Divinity School for almost 12 years, which is crazy. And um, I was raised actually Mennonite as a missionary kid. I did a undergraduate college work at Eastern Mennonite University, which was then Eastern Mennonite College, and um, did a master's degree in women's studies and religion at Claremont Graduate University, and then a doctorate in religious studies at Princeton University. Um, after the PhD, I taught briefly at Arizona State University for, well, for about five years, and then moved here to Yale. Um, so I'm interested in my scholarship in questions of um, race, imperialism, and American religion, and those the intersections of those themes. So, yeah. And I think it is important for us to be acknowledge it now that Keith um, and I are both very nervous and having this public record be out there. Um, so. Uh, I think we're gonna kind of like go through and figure out like what our stories are, what this faith journey means with each other in conversation. Um, but uh, we're both having a sense of nervousness surrounding um, what is going to be said and how it's going to be presented. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we'll call that out there uh, for the for the public audience. There, <laughs> we had a little pre-conversation where we both admitted to our um, sense of anxiety about talking about these things publicly. You would think that at a divinity school professor, um, I would be quite comfortable with ta about talking about these topics, but it is. I, as a scholar of religion and a historian of religion, it is not my forte to talk about my own faith journey, really. Yeah, I think I find that commonly among Unitarian Universalist leaders as well, because you're um, ministering to such a wide group of people that it's really hard. Sometimes you kind of keep that really explicit story of yourself a little more closed off and over to be able to minister to everyone authentically, at least what I've heard from other people. And so in my experience, I'm generally pretty open <laughs> with myself and they know what, you know, walking into a room, but um, I find that commonality of faith journey um, for Unitarian Universalists to be a little bit harder to articulate um, in public spaces, especially. Um, so I think that is a weird niche of Unitarian Universalism that isn't as talked about because the context isn't even as talked about as much. Um, yeah, you could, be, yeah. You, could be right. you could be right. And I think for me, part of it is also that um, I never really saw myself as going into ministry. And um, I, I mean, I still, I still don't never had a call to ministry, never envisioned, never plans to teach at a divinity school. I, I love teaching at a divinity school now that I'm here, but it wasn't really sort of my goal coming into the, um, profession, I saw myself as a scholar, a historian. Um, my own faith journey and movement into Unitarian Universalism was kind of separate from my scholarship. And so the two, it was, it was, they have only awkwardly been conjoined, let me just say. <laughs> so how did you find Unitarian Universalism? You know, how, how was that journey to the transition of uh, faith for you? Um, well, maybe I should um, back up and give a 
sort of longer story of my childhood and that religious background and upbringing. Um, I grew up in a very committed Mennonite family. And so the Mennonite church and Mennonite um, identity is very central to who I am. Um, my parents, before I was born, you know, they met in college at Eastern Mennonite College and decided to become missionaries. And so my name, Tisa, comes from Zambia, um, where they were missionaries in the mid 60s before I was born. And um, I was born then in Sierra Leone in their second sort of mission trip and spent a good part of my childhood in Swaziland, in, um, which is a small country in Southern Africa that is almost entirely surrounded by South Africa. And um, Swaziland, I realized in retrospect as an adult, I, you know, of course, wasn't really thinking about this at the time because I was just a kid, but it was only re relatively recently at the time independent from um, the British Empire. Uh, so it had, I think, only been an independent country for less than 10 years when we moved there. And um, the king was a hereditary Swazi monarch. Um, so it's a black African ruled nation, but almost entirely surrounded by apartheid South Africa. And so questions of race and colonialism were absolutely central to um, life in Swaziland, to life as white missionaries in Swaziland. My parents, I remember them talking a lot about um, what it meant to be white Christian missionaries there and to have a kind of leadership position. My father was asked to be the general secretary of the Council of Swaziland Churches. And he didn't wanna do it because he didn't. He thought that position should be held by a Swazi person, but he was kind of prevailed upon by Swazi church leaders to take the position at least for a while. And so he did, he, he served in that role for, about three years before we left. And one reason that he, my parents decided to leave is that they felt again, that he was, it was inappropriate for a white missionary to be in that role. So uh, we also had, you know, refugees from the South African apartheid struggle in our home. And so these um, experiences, I think really shaped my interest in the intersections of race and colonialism and um, religion and the history of missions and all of those things that I work on in my scholarship. Um, you know, they, I then, uh, I think in, uh, we moved back to the US and I went to high school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania where Mennonites were kind of a exotic, strange thing that nobody knew what who, you know, so I never really lived in a Mennonite community. I always felt very different, very strange, very, I had a weird accent because I had lived in Swaziland. Um, I always felt like an outsider. Um, and by the time I got to college, I think I, you know, I sort of was both in a feminist awakening and thinking critically and globally about religion and felt like, uh, started to think, gosh, if I had been born somewhere else, um, I probably wouldn't be a Christian. In the years after college, um, you know, felt increasingly out of place and uncomfortable with that, uh, with, with the Mennonite church. And especially, um, you know, when I was in graduate school and sort of attending a Mennonite church briefly, no, even in my first job at um, Arizona State, my husband and I started going, he grew up Mennonite as well. We started going to um, a Mennonite church there because it, we want, it, it was such a new context to us, Arizona. We, neither of us were from there at all. Um, we wanted to know 
somebody. <laughs> we wanted something familiar, right? Like we knew that if we went to a Mennonite church, we would, it's a small faith community. We would meet somebody who knew, uh, who we knew, we would, we would know somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, right? It would be, it would feel, it would feel comfortable. It would feel home. So we went there, but then we, it was uh, so uncomfortable for me actually, because it seemed to clash with the themes of my scholarship. Um, I work among other things on um, Native American history and um, the sort of the history of Christian missions and the way that white Christian missions have um, con contributed historically to the dispossession of native people in the United States. Um, so at this small Mennonite church in Arizona, there were some visiting missionaries from the Hopi reservation in Arizona who um, were, you know, talking about the heathenism that they had witnessed among the Hopi. And I just couldn't anymore. <laughs> it was like, it was, it, that was, I have to say, that was just the end for me. I couldn't remain a Mennonite. Um, it was, so we, I never went back to that church and I just couldn't go back to the church, even though I still culturally feel formed by that. And so we, um, you know, after, a couple of years after that started going to the Unitarian Universalist Church in, um, in um, Chandler, Arizona, close to where we lived. And um, kind of um, felt at home there with the, 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 the openness, the sense of a kind of spiritual community that was open and didn't make any assumptions about, you know, who you were or what you believed that um, that there's this there's a a real spiritual community, but not a kind of um, mm, dictates, <laughs> which of course is a big part of what it means to be you you, and it, it means a lot more. And it means I think you would find different answers about what it means to be you you among any you know anybody you ask, of course. Um, but for me, that, that was what it was. It was like, here's a place where we can, where we can pursue a spiritual journey, where we can, um, where social justice, commitment to social justice and work for social justice is, is, is really important as well as a kind of spiritual community that doesn't make assumptions about what I, who I am or what I believe because I'm here. So, um, that that's that was a very 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 long an answer to your question. But now I want to ask you to um, to tell us something about your um, spiritual background and journey and how you got to 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 where you are here today. Yeah, well, I find it really interesting that you went to uh, high school in Pittsburgh. That's where I'm currently residing and where I'm from, and lived here for the past twenty three years. Um, so that was a nice fun fact I did not realize before, um, but thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with me and allow me to get to know you better. Um, so my, my faith journey was, so I'm an only child, and uh, so my parents were very, very close. My father just passed almost a year ago exactly now, um, so working through that, um, but my parents growing up, they were, my mom was raised Russian Orthodox growing up, and my dad was a Christian on weddings and funerals, um, never really attended a church, um, but, but Christian, culturally Christian maybe, um, but they, the, his family growing up did not um, attend church. My uh, grandmother, my mom's, my um, maternal grandmother um, was from Russia. Um, so she mainly spoke Russian, never got to meet her. She passed away when my mom was 22 years old. Um, so, um, so she was raised her whole life in a Russian Orthodox faith and eventually went to, I think it was a Presbyterian church so she could understand it better. She can't speak Russian. Um, understand the services and what was going on. And her mother didn't care where she went as long as she was going to a church. Mm -hmm. uh, so we still celebrate um, the Orthodox holidays. So we celebrate Christmas on January 7th as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, stuff like that. Um, so some of that has like carried over into like the legacy of like where I feel my faith journey has started, that kind of background of my parents. Um, my parents, similarly to you, kind of wanted me to have a little community, somewhere to start. Um, so I was in a Presbyterian church growing up consistently, probably until I was about 10 or 11 years old. My parents were roaming off on Sundays together. The, we always went there and took me there. Um, but a lot of the times there, things like didn't make sense. And I would be questioning, well, where's the original Bible? Like, where was Jesus? Was he just like over the hill? He's far away. Like, that's probably like an hour away, right? That's far away. Um, so there's like kind of <laughs> innocent questionings of like, you know, those, those kind of questions uh, were interesting in that space. Cause a lot of times you don't know how to respond to me, especially when I was like, where's the original Bible? I don't understand. Like there's not an original, what, then how, where, how is this? But I was like six years old and just very confused. And I would just go to church and exist and like have fun and go to vacation Bible schools, you know? Um, and eventually um, pushing into middle school and high school, uh, I started to con consistently go to youth groups and church services with one of my closer friends, Shaylin. And Shaylin took me to um, a very evangelical conservative Christian church for many years. And I would probably say a total of like seven years, I would go there, not on Sundays, but at least on their like Wednesday night youth groups. And um, at first it was okay. And it was just fun and games. But then after we hit puberty and we had talks about sex and what was right, what was wrong, that uh, kind of religious trauma <laughs> started to, to set in. And I would leave every Wednesday from this space crying and upset and not really understanding like how a group could hate so deeply but claim to love mm -hmm. and it, it really set me I think on a faith journey that let me to be who I am today um, where I feel like my friend and I are like the, we're still friends we just went on a trip together and we actually had this conversation this like a couple days ago like three days ago um, for the first time and it's hard because I think like she is very uh, caught up in the rules of what evangelical Christianity teaches you. There's like hard rules and you can't question anything. And she um, is always noted as very pure or naive and same age and everything as me. And I'm about the exact opposite. Like we are the polar opposites of a scale of what religious trauma could do to someone. Mm. And um, you know, where she like very like embraced it and I pushed away hard. Hey, um, when you said hate so deeply, what is that? What's the hate that? Where's the hate? What's the hate that you saw? Hate towards the LGBTQ plus community specifically with me, um, and that was hard to listen to every day about how I was going to go to hell for my particular sins, right? And how my particular sins, not, 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 not their judgment against my sins, wouldn't send them to hell, but it's my particular sins and expression of sexuality, promiscuity, who, who I became through this and that pushback, right? Saying like, how dare you tell me what to do? Where even in my very moderate to liberal uh, Presbyterian church as a kid, I would still question against them and let alone this evangelical church that I went to and um, her whole family telling that they need to save me, that I am going to be cast into eternal life of suffering tell me about their prophetic dreams that they're having that I'm going to like die and I'm never going to see me again um and it's constant Christian guilt and fear that was instilled into my heart and um just for everything but it's only around like sex that I was going to be sent to hell but nothing else not not, not one thing and for, for that particular hate and that particular sin to be highlighted was so uh, traumatic and deeply troubling to me and then finding, um, I, like, I had a really strong sense of atheism then after that kind of pushed back. Tim mentioned of the atheist movement in Australia. He's a composer and like, he looks like Beetlejuice and he's just kind of like one around on stage and he talks about um, how Christianity doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And I really latched onto him <laughs> and a Unitarian Universalist showed me Tim Minchin. And in this process of atheism, I was like, that doesn't ring right with me. Like, I'm not an atheist. Like, I still find something divine, but it's not this. It's not this evangelical Christianity that's saying everything I'm doing is wrong, but everything that they're doing is, is right. And it just didn't make any sense to me when there wasn't even biblical proof for their, it just never sat right with me. And 
So I was looking up like different branches of atheism and things like that. And I came across an article called Sexed Up Atheism. And I was like, that sounds like an article for Tasha. And I clicked on it and, <laughs> and I was like reading about pantheism. And I was like, this is what I thought my whole life. All right, here we go. So then I told my friend who um, showed me to mention who was the Unitarian Universalist, the only one I ever knew around here before coming to a divinity school. And um, I went to his church eventually for the coming of age services, the one I ended up landing on. And all these eighth grade kids were in the front of the church. We just went on a journey to figure out what their faith was. So the, the, the summer program they had um, led them through the different areas in Pittsburgh that they could find different religions from, from covens, pagan covens, to all branches of Christianity, to places of Judaism, to Buddhism, to everything they could get, they got. And they gave a presentation at the end of the summer. And this is, would have been like a July, August. And they gave a presentation on what they thought God to be or not to be, what, what they feel like their faith was in reference to all these different places they experienced. And I was thinking, this is what I wish I had my whole life. Mm -hmm. This questioning, this ability to not be told what is right or what is wrong, but to ask, what do you feel is right or wrong? Mm -hmm. And I like never looked back from Unitarian Universalism after that service. Cause mm -hmm. I was like, this is, if I had it as a kid, like this, I wouldn't be feeling all these things now. Mm -hmm. And I would be able to learn and understand myself and community better and dialogue. And my questions wouldn't be looked at as radical, but be looked at as something that's needed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is my home. Tasha, did you um, have the desire or the experience of, of seeking a place within Christianity that would be, because as you would be accepting of LGBTQ um, identities and experiences, because I mean, as you know, there are a lot of Christians who are, right? Um, very much welcoming and make a point of being welcoming. Did you know about that side of Christianity? And if you had, would it have made a difference? Did you, you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I know what you're asking. And I think well, it, it, it took me into my undergrad at Seton Hill, which was a Catholic, a very small Catholic university near Pittsburgh. And it took that, the, the Catholics radical love and acceptance towards me. Mm -hmm. for me to be able to even appreciate Christianity again I had such a negative pullback against it and um, not that maybe all Christians were stupid it might be a, a heart's language but in my young high school brain at 14 I was just like how like like that doesn't even make any sense and I would like watch like conspiracy theory documentaries about how Christianity is wrong to like anything I could get to to prove that I was going to be okay mm -hmm. you know but it really took Seton Hill and their radical love and acceptance of me and every, everything I was. Um, I was the only non-Christian in the religious studies program. Um, no professor, no student. It was just me. There was people outside of the religious studies realm that had a different questioning of faith, but the majority of people there were Christian. And then there was a, a lot of witches there as well, which also <laughs> fed into probably my spiritual expression now. Um, so it was like witches and Catholics and like me and it was wild but they, they loved and accepted me and it took after like a year of being there my undergrad for me to actually even see Christianity as a valid form of spiritual expression mm. like it was that is that that deeply entwined into me that um, it just made it almost feel impossible and they were supportive of me the whole way through and like without Seton Hill I would never have thought about divinity school uh, appreciated or felt love towards Christians or Christianity again um, so there's such a pinnacle point and I'm still in contact with them constantly from professors to like the writing center faculty to everyone there like that was very much like my home mm. and that's a very common experience among people who have graduated from there but so I know I didn't hear, you know that's I mean I didn't I that that you had such a positive experience and of uh, kind of radical love and welcoming at Seton Hill yeah yeah, it was definitely a, definitely a blessing in my life. Um, but I think Seton Hill and the Unitarian Universalist Church has really pushed my, my, my faith and questioning of who I am and what I can be and what is valid spiritual expression. And, you know, um, and I've like never looked back from Unitarian Universalism. And I'm like, now I'm starting to dialogue with like the questions and like, you know, 
like some of like the deeper like colonial aspects of what Unitarian Universalism represents and why the secular is praised. There's so there's things I'm starting to dissect now. Yeah. Um, but yes. the faith, the faith is Unitarian Universalist, and like that's very much instilled in me now. Yes, I would say the same, and it's. <laughs> I've been. I mean even for a long time, I was hesitant to call myself a Unitarian Universalist because I saw those, the, the, the problems with the history and like you were just saying, the kind of colonialist um, and the, the overwhelming whiteness of it is also really, really troubling still, right? And um, of course there are people of color who are you, who are you use and, um, but, in any case, the thing that I, the thing that keeps me within um, Unitarian Universalism, I think the most is that when I voice all of these criticisms, people in the church say, yes, absolutely. Let's talk about that more. I mean, it's, there's, there's, there's never an anxiety about criticism. It's almost a tradition that, um, that is built around and welcomes um, internal um self-criticism and and uh I I I enjoy that while also having space for um for kind of you know positive community <laughs> and um and what has always felt like um real real welcoming to me so and I th I feel like we should be clear here that um there are Christians within Unitarian Universalism, um, and there are pe plenty of pe people who, I think, feel themselves to be somewhat refugees from Christianity, and people who identify spiritually in a variety of ways, and there's kind of space for that within Unitarian Universalism. Um, I have you know, I no longer consider myself a Christian, but consider myself um, kind of Christian adjacent. And I think throughout my adult life have wrestled in one way or another with Christianity. I remember, um, I mean, I, at a certain point was like, I just can't believe this anymore. And I just don't have the Christian faith anymore. And um, I said this to one of my aunts and she's like, why does it have to be about belief? <laughs> and I thought, She's totally right. It's, it shouldn't have to be about belief. I mean, it's it it is about um, practice and commitment and community and wrestling. And I think for for many Christians, that is the case, right? That it can be about that as well as for. Um, but that's certainly how uh, being Unitarian Universalist feels for me. Um, but I felt. Uh, like for me, and I think with my particular upbringing with especially the way that my father in particular approached um, being Christian, that it really was so much about belief that when some of the belief no longer held true for me that I couldn't, it didn't work for me to stay in it. Um, and I also had so much struggle with what people assumed, um, as I said before. So where was I going with that? Just the kind of, um, you know, the, the wrestling, the wrestling with Christianity for me has been um, a challenge. And I have at times I have to, um, you know, over the last few decades of this journey for me, um, have sometimes felt like I missed or wished that I could still have this, the, the, um, the kind of depth of Christian faith. And I hate to even admit that, that, that I, that I felt as a child, right? So, so you know, sometimes I'm like jealous of people who have that somehow, even though, um, even though I don't really want it for myself or don't think that I could recapture it for myself. And so um, I have been as a UU sort of um, 
moving towards how I could feel that kind of um, of of depth of spiritual community within the Unitarian Universalist tradition. Yeah, yeah, that's something I also share. Like a part of me like wishes I could be um, unquestioningly or like uh, like spiritually the spiritual depth that you see some people in Christianity having, especially being like raised in that tradition. It's always like a callback for it that I, I, I wish um, I can obtain as well. And it's like a constant like wrestling of maybe it's like the Easter effect and, you know, feeling like I'll see my father again or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I simply just don't know. And I think kind of having that like faith or belief is like where that stems from. And I, I just don't have it. Um, and I find some of the, <laughs> the good things in Christianity now uh, following 2016. Uh, and I can call myself also probably Christian adjacent at this point in, in my in my in my faith journey too. Um, and uh, it, it's it is an interesting balance, kind of like going back and forth uh, between like how can you have that spiritual fulfillment and maybe religious fulfillment, um, whether it be like ceremonial religiosity to individual to you know um, private to so like what kind of forms of religios religiosity are like lacking. I feel like. A lot of times in Unitarian Universalist spaces, um, there tends to be a so because there's so many different spiritualities that comprise once one religious space. Sometimes it's hard to find a spiritual space that uplifts you all the time. And I find a lot of Christ, very Christian Unitarian Universalist spaces. They'll say like, "Oh, like you know, you're not like it's like okay, you believe this, and like you're not a Christian, but." you're still going, going to heaven, like, don't worry about it, and I'm like, that's not what I want to hear, like, that's, that, that's invalidating me on so many different levels mm -hmm. of who I am, to be like, you know what, like, you're fine, like, but you're not right, like, mm -hmm. your belief is not right, you're, you're gonna go to heaven, so don't, don't worry about it, just, I guess, keep doing you, like, very, you know, so there are those moments in UU spaces that I've been very, like, hmm, thank you, <laughs> yeah, so there is, like, a sort of struggle of faith, and, like, what is valid, yeah, and you, basis for non for non-christians and christians alike you know so it's a really hard balance to maintain within churches or even just like casual um groups between unitarian universalists that are focused on faith mm -hmm. like development right well and that's one of the problem points i think for me with unitarian universalism is this kind of the radical individualism that is part of the tradition has always troubled me because um, it's part of the tradition of liberalism that I think is implicated in a kind of privilege that can also make us as a tradition in the tendon, the, the tendency maybe is to be too focused on the individual and on um, people's individual journeys. And that can make it hard to pay attention to a kind of um, the fabric of the whole community. And it can remove responsibility for, um, for injustice and for new who is not being held up by the community. And I see that actually um, the way that Unitarian Universalism generally is wrestling with questions of um, racism, diversity, inclusion right now within the tradition, that this is one of the pressure points, right? This is how, how do we balance our um, deep commitment to kind of individual faith journeys with a equally strong commitment I, that I think is, is, is real in among Unitarian Universalists now to the community as a whole and to social justice. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that as well. And I feel like, how do I want to phrase this? I feel like the individualism is an issue, but for me, it's, and it's something I'm even questioning now with my faith of pantheism, because it's still very true and deep to me. And but that, that language of pantheism, the kind of scientific language of pantheism and the Unitarian Universalist Church's um, general uh, 
proclamation of faith or like what's going on it tends to be from a very secular based language, which is a very loaded term. I'm aware of that. Um, but that, that, that language is wrong, true to me. And at first I was just like, that just doesn't make sense. Like science and like, that is the ultimate truth. You know what I mean? And like going through those questions young and kind of being at Yale Divinity School, I have been thinking how, like why, like why do I feel like that language is superior above like the supernatural language? It is from like a deep colonial bias that I have to deconstruct within myself. And I feel like not only for myself, but also for the Unitarian Universalist tradition that it's so bound up within colonialist, imperialist Western ideals um, that its use of language and music and so many aspects really swings towards Western colonial bias. And it's impacting my faith journey as well, because it's for me, like, it's good. I'm like, okay, cool. Like the secular language, the scientific language of the cosmos, instead of using God language resonates with me. That's good for me. And I found that for me. Mm -hmm. um, but why do I feel like that is best for me? And that's a question I'm going into. And I also hope that Unitarian Universalism as a whole all sorts of dialoguing with those kind of colonialist set questions of individualism to scientific language rather than the supernatural or godlike language. Because that's definitely a dichotomy that I see within the Unitarian Universalist faith. Yeah. So Tasha, tell us um, what brought you to divinity school and where the call to ministry well, a call to ministry would not have been in my in my future, even at the beginning of Seton Hill. Um, my friends were even surprised I was going to a Christian university. Um, fun fact: I was so away from Catholicism when I was a, when I was a kid. I never saw a nun in real life. Seton Hill was run by by nuns. I when I was a kid, I, I never knew that nuns were real. They were on TV. People dressed up like them for Halloween, but I never saw one in real life. So I'm at the Uniontown Mall in Southern Pennsylvania. And in July, and there's all these, there's a group of nuns in the JC Pennies. So I'm like, it's July. Why are they in costumes? Probably like 10. <laughs> and my grandmother and aunt are like, they're, they're nuns. I'm like, oh, what do you mean they're nuns? Because like nuns are like dragons, they're like mythical creatures. So I was like, what do you mean? And they were that's like, really no, they're, funny. They're, that, that's what they do. I was like, oh God, that's what they're, they're real. And I was petrified of nuns for like a good seven years. I was like, because they were just magically real one day I was like this is horrifying right so people I, I was very separated from Catholicism I was very separate from Christianity uh, when I was graduating high school but I chose Seton Hill and I was like what in the heck so nowhere in my life growing up was I was thinking ministry divinity school was the path for me it was not an easy path I knew no one in like who was pastors I wasn't a PK by any means you know and none of my family went to graduate school so it's just weird right so then I at Seton Hill I end up traveling abroad with Seton Hill University with a semester at Sea and Seton Hill University um so semester at Sea is where um it's like a university on a cruise ship and we travel the world um and able to experience like different religious faiths and on that ship I um was able to like lead a bunch of different clubs between like the LBGTQIA community I led um the meditation club every night at 7.30. And I started to like really, my um, leadership skills and community access skills. I was an RA for three years at my undergrad resident assistant. Um, so there's lots of things I was like a leader with, but then the spiritual side of me started to become a leader with Semester at Sea. And, and in returning, it's still got a kind of leadership presence was there. And it basically a form of Unitarian versus club. It had many different nicknames, but it was like the Pantheist Agnostic Humanist and a bunch of different things for a semester at sea and I also had one it was renamed to the mushroom club is when it ended up just sticking at it was the mushroom club and I was fine with that I'm a licensed mushroom forager on the side so we talked about mushrooms a lot um but <laughs> I would love to hear more about that but maybe uh, yeah. not at this yeah, maybe, not, oh, maybe not now um, <laughs> but kind of leading all those all those organizations and clubs and finding my path towards Unitarian Universalism and I think a part of it was that Growing up, I knew no one who was pantheist. I knew no one that had similar aspects to me. And the Unitarian Universalist faith could uplift it. And there was a space for me, kind of if I made it, but it was there. I was accepted there. And that's what I got. But I never had a mentor for anyone that was similar to me up until after my undergraduate. But it was a mentor that was still opposite in faith to me. There's still no one that I have that is in a similar faith journey to me that I've ever found. 
but I know there's lots of people online and Facebook groups on TikTok to everywhere that are, are trying to find some sort of somebody that they can look for to ask questions to and dialogue with. And I feel like that is what kind of like pushed me towards like maybe I could be like one of the leaders of what pantheism is and Unitarian Universalism kind of gives me that space and yoga gives me that academic dialogue and training that I would need to do so. And that's kind of where it started. But then it was more of a call to actual ministry when I came back because my church at Unitarian Universalist Smithton, Pennsylvania, um, they asked me to start giving lay servants. We're a completely lay led congregation. We have no ministers. So it's only run by the board and basically the people that we can bring in. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, hey, like we want to hear what your experience abroad, what you've learned. So I started giving sermons there. And um, one thing led to another. I started bringing in things from my religious studies degree at Seton Hill. I started bringing in my broad experience and everything just kind of conglomerated together. And I was like, this is everything I ever looked for. Like mm -hmm. ministry itself is the, is the conglomeration of psychology, religious studies, philosophy, uh, passions of music and singing, arts, uh, academic thought and constantly questioning. So like all these aspects of my life that I felt like I would have to lose at one point when I grew up or when I became an adult, they all just pushed together into this mm -hmm. wonderful career ministry. And I was like, thought if I should be um, a parish minister, if I should go to a chaplaincy or more non-traditional route. And I'm still in that kind of discernment process. But I've really found that Unitarian Universalist ministry allows me to combine everything in my life that I've ever been passionate about into one amazing, fruitful dialogue and question career that although it has its issues, that constantly fulfills me and allows me to question deeper. Because um, I feel like the issues that we've talked about that Unitarian Universalism kind of faces is issues that the rest of the world also faces outside of Unitarian Universalism and that kind of bias that the whole world is kind of under. And I feel like it, the Unitarian Universalism and ministry really gives me a spot to truly become me and be able to stay me and constantly continue and evolve. Um, and now I'm looking at military chaplaincy more specifically. I'm looking at Space Force chaplaincy, which already military chaplaincy is a little odd. There's only three active duty chaplains that are Unitarian Universalists right now. Because um, Unitarian Universalists tend to be pacifist or like not or anti-military at some points even. Um, and my family I should also know it's a, my family is a three-party household and there was three of us in the household politically um, my mom democrat dad republican and i'm independent mm -hmm. um so it was I, I was always used to different views <laughs> in a in a space um and unitarian universalism i feel like is although it's heavily liberal my congregation is kind of split similar to my household because of the area I'm, I'm in um but i feel like the military chaplaincy and kind of dialoguing with the conservative and kind of still keeping that as a part of my life and learning from them as much as they are learning from me is also such an important aspect. Um, but uh, Space Force chaplaincy is where I'm being called and I'm filling out the paperwork for chaplaincy candidacy uh, program in the summer of 2022 and whether in five years or not, this will continue to be my path, I'm not sure, but um, I had the same feeling for Space Force chaplaincy as I did for ministry like three or four years ago. Mm. You know, like I kind of, I kind of denial, like <laughs> I, I know it kind of probably happened, but like we're not going to let it happen. What gave um, you the idea of Space Force chaplaincy in uh, in the first place? Uh, so so my, my, my dad in 2016 voted for, for Trump. He passed away before the 2020 election. Um, and it was always just like the joke of the family because like we always kind of like joke with each other despite our differences. And uh, he, the Space Force was advertised and being created. And I was livid with the Space Force being created. Maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but I will. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but um, I was so similar to how Antarctica is supposed to be like a place of like scientific refuge or that no one can like claim the land, right? And space was supposed to be the same way, but the US never signed a treaty in the 1970s to say that we won't colonize space effectively. There was them and one other nation in Africa, but I forget which one, only two in the 70s after we got to the moon that they signed say like, hey, like we don't, we don't promise to colonize space, but every other country in the world signed it. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the United States did it. Um, and, now, and now we're in the, in the process because I mean, the military budget is huge. The only way that they're going to be able to get to space uh, and bunk, uh, bump up their cybersecurity protection 
satellite. That's mainly what, what Space Force is. It's a looking at satellites and cybersecurity because our cybersecurity is decently weak. And it's something that the United States really has to bump up on militarily. Um, but then the space world also involves space travel. And the only way you can get to space, like that much money to get to space is making it a branch of the military, right? And we're in the process of colonizing space. Like we're in like day one, step one of the colonization of outer space. Mm -hmm. And the US has, a, it's gonna have a lot of political aspects to it. But just um, the fact that we, we, we've, Europe, the United States, the Western world colonized the rest of the world. We saw how devastating that was. And I feel like as Unitarian Universalist and Unitarian Universalism generally has a very unique opportunity to be a very needed voice in the colonization of space mm -hmm. that gives space and room for dialogue. And although it's not the best at, at, what, at what Unitarian Universalism was trying to do, I feel like UU has a very unique opportunity to be able to form a kind of religiosity of space. Because with because how can we make sure what happened on the earth doesn't happen in space? Although we're not colonizing alien creatures, we're gonna build a new world order effectively, not to sound like a, you know, but we're in the, in the day one colonizing space. And I feel like with my, the only other thing I'm missing in the ministry packet of what, like how it combines psychology, religious studies is astronomy and space. That's what draws me to pantheism. So that mm -hmm. my father had a passion in, even though he was just a redneck farmer, self-proclaimed redneck farmer, landscaper, um, loved astronomy and space. And it's something I've always had a passion for. And I think that's why pantheism resonated so deeply with me. And I was like, pantheism, okay, if I got to space and I could be the first minister in space, that's the ultimate pilgrimage for my pantheist self, um, <laughs> for a more individual of Hawaii. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's so interesting to me, but I mean, it, it, I, I have to like, I, I'm, tr I'm, I have to admit I'm troubled. I, and I always have been troubled and I hear your, um, discomfort as well with the language of colonizing space, right? Like it's because that is the language that is used, but it has such troubling resonances with colonial history that you mentioned. And so what do we do with that? Like how, I mean, because, I mean, I can't, I can't um, buy into the idea of creating some sort of new utopian colony in some other place. It just doesn't sit right. I mean, I think we need to um, tend our own gardens in a sense, right? And yeah. I, I say that as a very committed gardener, but... <laughs> I mean, uh, um, you know, the, we, we need to focus, I think that we need to focus on um, fixing what's wrong here on earth, you know? Yeah, I, I know I fully agree with you too, where like, I wish this military budget was being spent on what needs to be done here, right? I, I oh my, like how I wish, and that's why I was so angry at the creation of this stupid branch of the military, right? And but I can't stop it. No matter how many protests we hold, no matter what we do, right? The powers of the United States are about to colonize space, and the rest of the world is about to jump in on it and make their own branches of space military, right? Where it, it start, it's going to start a wave and a butterfly effect into the rest. Well, and I, and I think we do. Need, we do need people who work within systems as well as people who kind of are critical of systems from the outside. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's a it can be a challenge to figure out which role is the right, is the right role. Um, yeah. yeah. Me, I feel like it's definitely on the inside. And I, I feel like from exposure to many different cultures around the world and also just within the culture of my household that I am sympathetic to both sides, which is a really scary thing for me to say as a UU, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when someone like my father is like the hero of my life. And um, so it, it's always a, a hard uh, dialogue to conquer within UU spaces or academic spaces even. Mm -hmm. But I feel like because I have, um, uh, I have an ability to connect political opposites and dialogue with people who are opposite of me that I would, I, my, my skill set also holds a very unique role for me to be on the inside of what Space Force is doing because I refuse to let 
the evangelical Trump Christianity in which that has traumatized me so much be the religion of space. Mm. I absolutely refuse. Like, I, 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 I'm not necessarily a full pacifist, but I don't agree with the military too much either. Mm-hmm. I'm not a t- terribly patriotic. I'm more critical of the United States, but I refuse to let evangelical Trump Christianity, the oppressive Christianity that evangelicalism can produce, mm-hmm. can, not always, but can, be the religion of outer space. And that will be the new frontier eventually. The Earth's resources are dying out, whether it be in 500 years or 2000s, if humans make it that long, it'll be out that we'll end up having to go. And this is like day one. And I'm in divinity school. It was formed while divinity, while I was in the process of applying for divinity school, Space Force was like the, like the true, like it was a talk about it before. But it became real when I started to enter divinity school and the Space Force would be an up and running branch around the time I'm ordained. And it provides me just a weird avenue in which it just feels right. And like when I'm talking about it, I have chills, right? Like it just, it's those moments that I'm like, this is where I belong. And it's gonna be hard for me to be in the military as a, outwardly queer woman, right? And to be a chaplain and not only just to be like an enlisted member, but to be uh, off, like an officer ranking, which is what I would end up being if I followed through with this. To kind of have these um, very liberal, crazy identities <laughs> and mm-hmm. trying to balance the military is going to be an adventure. And uh, I could easily martyr myself and I'm gonna try not to do that. And try to- Please don't. <laughs> I walk that fine line between being authentically me, fighting for what I stand for, but doing what I have to do as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just calling me there because I, re- I refuse to let the traumatic evangelical Christianity be the religion of space. And that's what it is right now. And mm-hmm. I can't let, I can't. I ethically cannot sit here and do nothing when I have all the tools in my belt to do so. You know, mm-hmm. it's just such a calling for me. It's a perfect Tasha shaped hole for me to fit into <laughs> and it's when it's wild I didn't think this would be an option for me either but space travel and religiosity and all these different things and colonialism and religious trauma and pantheism and my father all kind of conglomerate into this kind of path towards space force which is just a wild journey I didn't think this words could even leave my mouth I didn't, <laughs> you know a space force space travel a minister chaplain an intergalactic chaplain maybe um like what what is this and it's very odd <laughs> That's that is a wild journey for sure. Um, And I love that you're pursuing this passion and the way that it all comes together. Um, What a beautiful paradox. Thank you. (laughs) Definitely very Unitarian Universalist. Very Unitarian Universalist. And I think maybe that is a good place for us to, to, to end and wrap up the conversation. I feel like this has been such a, um, fascinating journey of learning to know each other a yeah. little better especially with covid you know it's hard to you know we've only spoken a couple times on zoom so i'm very happy to kind of have this space to get to know you more and i'm very happy to get to know you via zoom now likewise so thank you for this this has been a fireside chat featuring professor tisa wenger and student tasha brownfield sponsored by the Spiritual Formation Committee. Thank you for listening.